Welcome into another episode of College Gridiron, WFUV's home for all things college football. I'm Jack Warner. I'm joined by Evan Harkin and Will Jane. Guys, this is one of the episodes that you kind of spend all season looking forward to because we not only are going to recap two exhilarating college football playoff uh, semifinal games, but on top of that, we get to preview the big boy. We get to preview this year's national championship, which takes place on Monday, January 8th in Houston, Texas, and it will be the Michigan Wolverines, the number one ranked Michigan Wolverines versus the number two ranked Washington Huskies. But guys, New Year's Day gave us an unbelievable pair of semifinal games. I think, honestly, for the first time, uh, and I, I'll start with you, Evan, just kind of getting your, your thoughts on what you saw uh, on New Year's Day with these two semifinal games. It felt like this year there was, you know, obviously one went to overtime, one came down to the final play, so you didn't get any blowouts, which I feel like is usually what you have signed up for. For at least one of the semifinals, I feel like every year since the college football playoff has formed, it seemed like this past New Year's Day we got our best uh, semifinal games. Would you would you be in agreement with that? A hundred percent. And I, I don't think I've ever been more excited to be on a podcast to your earlier point. I wasn't uh, <laughs> scheduled to be on this one, but when I got a text asking if I could sub in, I was like, never been happier to sub in for a podcast. I was like, yes, right away. And mostly, like, as you said, because of these two amazing games, we saw over a thousand yards of offense in one game and a game that came down to the last two yards in the in another game. So you really can't ask for a better playoff. And hopefully we get the ending that this is all leading up to, which is just a great game, which we're expecting in the college football national championship this week. And Will, what about you? I'm also like super stoked to be on this episode and I, I didn't know if I was going to be put on it. So I actually requested, I asked Julia if she could put me on it last week. Cause I was like, I don't wow. know. I haven't been on it in a couple of weeks, so I don't know if she's going to put me on, <laughs> but I'm super happy. I had like a little watch party at my house with three of my friends and like, we were all going nuts for the games. Um, Two very opposite games. I feel one is like a lot of offense and the other is just like defense and like a lot of mistakes. So like two different sides of the same coin that is like a really good game. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, I was texting Merrick and he was like, um, the committee just has to be on top of the world because everyone was like, oh my gosh, like did they make the wrong decision putting Florida State out? And I think they're happy looking at these two games being like, now everyone's pretty happy with us. You make a great point there because I think the one thing that a lot of people are truly looking at this year with a lot of amusement is the fact that like, for once because this the college football playoff in essence it, you know just as a as a form just the general format of it was a huge improvement from the way that you know things originally ran it used to be the bcs national championship and it was the top two teams and they you know everyone else could just find their respective bowl game and sure maybe bowl games meant a little more in that era because you know you had the rose bowl and the sugar bowl and the tostitos fiesta bowl you know you had those games that were taken seriously with good football teams that didn't make the championship but it seems like with this new format it was an improvement but there were still things that you know weren't quite right about it whether it was the teams not being picked correctly in certain years or like i mentioned when you know opening the show that it seemed as though there was always one blowout in the semifinals that just wasn't even worth watching. So I think this year, 
phenomenal job by the committee in, you know, picking the teams that were clearly of the best four fit. Cause like I said, two wonderful uh, watching experiences with both of these semifinal games. Will, you made a great point highlighting the mistakes, which I think Michigan, Alabama in the Rose Bowl is a good place to start because it seemed as though that it, it was just mistakes back and forth. And it came down to who could make the last stand, who could have the ball last. Michigan wins 27 to 20 in overtime, a thrilling game from start to finish. Now, you saw a suffocating Michigan defense in this first half with, you know, particularly the pass rush, five sacks in the first half, just ran through this uh, Alabama O-line like a knife through butter. But it's, you know, in the second half was where things really evened out. You saw Michigan really not have any sort of offensive production until late in the fourth quarter. And that was after a missed field goal, after some big mistakes on their end. Uh, I want to start with you, Will, with just what you saw in this Rose Bowl game and, and how Michigan was able to outlast the uh, Nick Saban's Crimson Tide. It seemed like Michigan just, you know, putting together their defensive plays on every single snap. Like you said, five sacks. It just seemed like Alabama didn't have a single answer for them early on. They didn't. I think they they had that uh, they had that one. I think it was a muff punt. Right. And then yes. they were able to recover it. And that led to the early touchdown. And other than that, there just wasn't much scoring. Um, I mean, they had that early they had that early pick. I think it was like the first play that got overturned. That was something that, I don't know, maybe we would be talking about a different outcome if that didn't get overturned. You know, we might be talking about Alabama and Washington. But um, nonetheless, Michigan, other than that, was just pretty dominant, especially defensively in the first half. Um, and then it seemed like to me, Alabama, in the second half, they were slowly starting to put, put together the pieces and – um, starting to, you know, string some things together. And then Jalen Milrow fumbled the ball. So then that put a stop to that. And then in the fourth quarter, they really started to figure it out. And you could see, you know, they were very much alive. They even pulled ahead. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was just like, I don't They couldn't hold up. I think Michigan's, uh, they had some good play calling down the stretch and Alabama just couldn't compete with that. And it's kind of weird to say, saying that about Nick Saban, you know, um, you would never think that he would get, you know, out play called maybe even out coach, but I think um, on New Year's Day, I think that's what happened. Yeah, I totally agree, Will. And we're talking about mistakes here. A guy who didn't really make any mistakes and someone who I didn't think got enough credit for the game, J.J. McCarthy, 17 for 27, 223 touchdowns, almost had a pick, but ended up not having that pick. I totally agree that it would be a different game if that was an interception, got bailed out there, but was able to keep his composure after that play and really just deliver a game that I think nobody thought he would. A lot of people point to Blake Corum, who did have a great game. He showed some outstanding vision, especially late in the overtime, showing you that running backs do matter, kind of the opposite of what the NFL plays like nowadays. He had a touchdown, 83 yards, four and a half yards per carry. But J.J. McCarthy was really getting it done the whole game, ends up with three touchdowns and the game-winning, not the game-winning, but the, the touchdown to send it into overtime to Roman Wilson. And like you said, Jim Harbaugh said before the game, this th there might not be a game that's defined in the trenches more than this one, and it absolutely was. Michigan with six sacks, two sacks in overtime, which, which completely derailed that overtime drive by Alabama, and 10 tackles for loss. So 16 times an Alabama ball carrier was taken down behind the line of scrimmage. Truly shows you that this Michigan defensive unit and defensive coordinator came to play. Right. And I think what stood out the most about 
Michigan in this game particularly, and I think is what just kind of gave them that final push they needed, was the fact that they were able to make the plays when they needed to. They made up for the mistakes that they made throughout the game. I mean, that catch from Roman Wilson in the yeah. on that final drive to tie the game, that saved the game. Those, you know, you had two Alabama defenders right behind him, basically camping out, waiting for that tipped pass from from uh, JJ McCarthy and just unbelievable display of athleticism from Roman Wilson to get up there and make that catch basically saves the game and then scores the game tying touchdown not too long later. Uh, you know, just making the plays when they need to be made. And I think the other thing that I find fascinating about this game particularly, and I think it it does speak to, you know, Michigan's ability to have playmaking when the game is on the line and when it's high intensity is if Michigan were to have ended up losing this game, right? You could have pointed a finger at several different things that could have been the defining moment that lost them the game. Because if you really think about it, we already talked about that pick that didn't count to start the game. So that's not even, we're not going to count that because it didn't end up happening. But you had a muff punt, which by the way, Alabama offensively looked horrid in the first half they had no answer for Michigan that pass that Michigan pass rush suffocated any and all momentum that this Alabama offense and Jalen Milrow could have had you had Jace McClellan with one touchdown rush and I was actually going to get to that in a moment because the only time that that Alabama offense had a lick of energy was when Michigan muffed a punt to set them up in good territory other than that, that Alabama offense was dead for majority of the first half. So you could point a finger there. You could point a finger at the missed extra point. You could point a finger at the missed field goal, which I understand it was from like 48 yards or something like that. You kick at Michigan. That's That's got to be within range. There's, you know, there's college kickers that can make, you know, kicks in the high 40s, low 50s in yardage. You could have pointed the finger there. Or – they were inches away from the most tragic ending in the history of the college football playoff with that muffed punt at the end of the fourth quarter that by the grace of God, you know, he was able to get down at the one yard line rather than fall into the end zone for a safety and break the plane of the goal line. So you can just look at several mistakes that should never happen and are uncharacteristic of a Jim Harbaugh led Michigan Wolverines team and they were still able to come out on top. Yeah, yeah I, I think – go okay. ahead, Will. Okay. Um, I think, honestly, looking at this game, I think both teams played very under our expectations. I think both teams choked. And I think um, – it's like you said, if Michigan were to have lost this game, we would be looking at Michigan. Now we're looking at Alabama more because they lost. But I think both teams definitely did not play up to par. I think, you know – you know, looking at Jalen Miller, he only had 116 passing yards. And then you had, you know, a slew of mistakes all around on Michigan side. No team played well. I think this was just, you know, who's going to, who's going to, again, make, make the right play when it comes down the stretch and who can choke less. And, you know, um, I think Blake Corum was huge for Michigan. He, uh, he showed up down the stretch. I think that's been something that's pretty consistent for them. Um, If they need something down the stretch and it's a close game, I think, um, they can always turn to Blake Corum to put it away. And, you know, he showed up in OT like they needed. So I think that was key to their win. 
Yeah, I love how you talked about the uh, special teams aspect here, Jack, because I think it played such a huge part in this game, especially how Alabama seemed to have the opposite time on special teams where they have one of the best kickers in college football history over there who was able to knock in 250 yarders. Where on the other side, you have a Michigan kicker who couldn't even make a crucial extra point and then ended up missing another field goal in the game. Just shows you how important a kicker is, especially in college football. And then you turn to the punts where... You completely muff one punt, give Alabama basically a red zone possession, and then, you, by, like you said, by the grace of God, you end up getting the other punt in your hands. Oh, and they had 12 men on the field or 10 men on the field in the most crucial yeah, punch that's of the right. game. People like, How do you not have the correct guys on the field in the, their most crucial moments any of them has ever played in their career? That's insane to me. I I know we try to I know we try to to keep these these shows unbiased, but full disclosure, I am a Michigan fan. I used to live out in Detroit, Michigan, so I watched that game, biting my fingernails. I see the muff punt, and I'm already like, that was awful. And then yeah. on top of that, the the I it's funny you bring that up. The broadcasters pointed that out and even counted them out on a replay. Yeah, and there were ten men on the field. It's like oh my god like guys this is the road this is the national semifinal like this team has not been to a national championship in over 20 years like this is the winningest program in college football hasn't been to a hasn't been to a natty in over 20 years like that can't happen and so that is one of the things that i think you take away from a win like this one don't get me wrong you know phenomenal alabama football team who had a turnaround a turnaround season is putting it lightly when you talk, and even Nick Saban talked about in post game how this is one of the most special teams he's ever coached because of that ability to end up in the college football playoff despite where the team started early in the season and, and not really meeting expectations. But I think even with that being said, that's a phenomenal Alabama team that Michigan beat. Yes, but like they almost should have beat them worse with the amount of mistakes that Michigan made. So I do think you know one of the focuses aside from having to shut down the best long ball quarterback in the NCAA on Monday. I think one of the other focuses I can't imagine that they're not talking about watching film is just playing a cleaner brand of football, because like you mentioned, Evan, and kind of highlighted it, the special teams was a disaster. I mean, that like it's, it's incredible to me that we're talking about, you know, the mistakes that Michigan made in this game in the manner in which we are talking about them. And they came out victorious. You know, they, they have a spot in the national title on Monday. Um, but nevertheless, Michigan, 27 to 20 in overtime over the Alabama Crimson Tide. They will be one of the two teams in Monday's national championship. And now we're going to ship over to New Orleans, Louisiana, where we had another great game, another fantastic semifinal game between the Washington Huskies and the Texas Longhorns, Washington comes out as the victor, 37 to 31. You had some late fourth quarter fireworks from Texas, some late momentum looking like it could have ended differently. But nevertheless, that Washington Husky secondary comes up with a huge play to, to close this out and send the Washington Huskies to the national title game. Now, I started with Will uh, for the Michigan game. I'll start with you this time, Evan much more offensive game, lot more scoring, lot less defense. But I want to start with the elephant in the room and talk about who I would argue with anyone, as I think many other people would, 
is the best long ball quarterback in the NCAA. And that is Michael Penix Jr., who was 29 of 38 for 430 yards. He averaged 11.3 yards per completion, two touchdowns. I want to start with you, Evan. I mean, is that your, is that your MVP for this game? A hundred percent. I think we got to stop treating Michael Penix like even like you said, he definitely is the best long ball passer, in my opinion. But I think he's the best pure pocket passer, period. I mean, the way he maneuvers in the pocket, he doesn't have the escapability of, say, a Jalen Milrow. But I think he has twice the amount of poise in the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield, knowing where the pressure is coming from and stepping in and out of it while being able to throw. It's just amazing to see. And those are traits that typically transfer well into the NFL for teams looking to draft a QB coming up. And I think we also have to stop treating Washington like just a good Pac-12 team because they are legit on all aspects. It's not just Michael Penix. It's not just Romo Dunze. You saw it from the defense. They hunted the football in this game. A huge point in that game was Texas losing two bad fumbles. But they didn't lose two fumbles. Washington went and had two takeaways. They came in from behind ball carriers looking to punch the ball out the entire game. That was their plan. That was no accident. That was no one dropping the ball. That was Washington's seriously good defense that doesn't get enough credit coming up and making plays and I think overall this season Washington has just been underappreciated undervalued and we really see it every time there's a big game that they have to step and play higher in that they just simply do that on all aspects I also think uh Michael Penix Jr. was absolutely amazing one of if not the best uh quarterbacks um in the the entirety of college football and I think one thing that really interests me about both of these college football semifinal games is that both teams that won, won in spite of the fact that their punting was hard. Because Washington, I think they had an average of 10 yards less per punt than Texas, and then Michigan had an average of 10 yards less per punt than Washington, yet both happened to pull out the game. I think, obviously, for different reasons. I think Michigan was because of their defense. And Washington was because of their defense, too, but mainly because of their offense, because Texas just really had no answer until there was like that fourth quarter, you know, drive where they had like, I think it was like a three and out or something like that. Texas forced them to a three and out and then came back the next drive, forced a punt, I think, after one first down. So um, Washington did have a little bit of hiccups at the end, but ultimately just, you know, their offense throughout the whole game wasn't, uh, was just too much. And Texas couldn't, uh, mount enough of an offensive effort in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And I mean, this game got really exciting towards the closing minutes, which I think is anything you could ask for, um, in a, in, in just a good, you know, high stakes football game, Texas was as down, was down as much as 13 points in the second half. They bring it back to within six to where, you know, a touchdown wins it on that final drive, uh, you know, you know, pending the extra point, obviously, which, you know, we learned in the Michigan game, I guess, is never a lock. But, uh, you know, Washington, I mean, uh, excuse me, Texas stuck around and it even came down to a final drive where, I mean, I don't want to get too specific because I know we're talking about the grand scheme of, you know, the whole game. But that final drive where Texas backs to the wall Quinn Ewers makes a like a 50-yard completion down the Washington sideline to basically just revive the Texas offense completely, move the chains with like a minute and a half to go and move them into Washington territory. And you're thinking, oh, my God, like we have a game on our hands. They kept panning the camera 
over to Michael Penix Jr., who obviously is a great teammate. He's been known for being a great teammate and has a lot of confidence in his guys. Look nervous. I mean, they all that wash. You, it felt like you could hear a pin drop on that Washington sideline while you're watching Ewers, you know, drive Texas down the field in the closing seconds of this game. I think it came down to, you know, in the final 20 seconds. And it, it, it seemed to be a talking point a lot after the game because, you know, it's always the fans at home that, that do end up trying to become the, the OC and the DC on Twitter once a game is over. But a lot of people called Steve Sarkeesian's, uh, you know, play calling ability into question during the final plays of that drive because you did see a couple of very ineffective plays run by this Texas offense, you know, in crunch time when you knew that the amount of plays that they were going to be able to run was running thin. They had this weird draw play, I think, with like 20 seconds to go that literally gained them like a yard or two. It just it just went over to the Washington sideline and barely crossed the line of scrimmage and kind of just wasted a play. It did come down to a final pa- excuse me, a final pass play where Quinn Ewers is throwing out of bounds and just so happens to very luckily have that pass touch the ground with a second to go. Uh, and they're able to run one more playoff from scrimmage, one more shot to the end zone. But like I said, you know, introing this game, that Washington secondary just stepped up and made an, I forget who the specific cornerback was, but made an unbelievable play to swat the ball out of, you know, catching range. And, you know, in post game, one of the things that was talked about a lot was that, you know, Washington has stood out a lot for their offense, right? We talked about it. Michael Penix Jr., best long ball quarterback in the NFL, I mean, NFL, excuse me, NCAA. Uh, and Evan, you were mentioning just his pocket presence being second to none. And both those things are true. Washington has been really highlighted as an offensive team. Dylan Johnson, you know, being their, you know, their lead rusher. But that Washington defense has really stepped up with their backs to the wall on multiple occasions this season. If you think back to the regular season with two very cutthroat matchups against Oregon, one in the regular season and one for the Pac-12 title, you saw these high octane, high energy, high intensity late game drives that were make or break where this Washington Huskies defensive unit really did stand on their head. And while I do think that you put the team side by side, you're going to see a little bit of concern with Washington's defense who has, you know, given up a little more, you know, in terms of overall points in point value than the other sort of elite teams in the NCAA has. Right. Um, They have also shown their ability to stand up with their backs to the wall in high intensity games and in big time make or break drives where they need a stop. Yeah, the defense, when you add such a good offense, we already know can go get the job done and then some, and then put together a defense that's really focused on takeaways so that they can get the ball back in their elite offense's hand, and that's the formula to win the game. We see what it could do. I want to talk about what Steve Sarkeesian said after the game. This is a quote from him talking about Penix. Quote, unquote, we just couldn't get him to the ground, and that was probably the most frustrating part. He was elusive in the pocket did a great job of avoiding the rush, and then I thought they did a great job of taking advantage of one-on-one matchups. Here's the big part for me. 
It felt like every time they threw it, we were in the right coverage and they made the, made the play. That's a credit to them. This isn't the first game that's happened. That's Washington's M.O. You play this right, it doesn't matter because we just have the playmakers that are going to go out there and catch the ball over you, the Romo Dunzes, the Jalen Polks. We have the quarterback that's going to put it in the perfect spot, Michael Penix. So it's somewhat of an undefendable offense. And Texas had 41 sacks this season. That's second in the SEC by one. To put it into perspective, we were talking about how good the Michigan pass rush is. They had 38 sacks this season. So maybe even better of a pass rush from Texas. They had zero sacks on Michael Penix in this game. And it wasn't because they weren't getting back there. It was simply because of what he can do in the pocket, getting rid of the ball at the perfect time. And I, I just think it's outstanding how you can almost play a team perfectly and they could just go out there and outball you. Yeah, I mean, Washington, like we, we've already kind of stated in it enough, like just basically really solid on both sides of the ball. Again, they had some mistakes. Um, I think that there were so many plays down the stretch. I think that was – if there was one bone to pick with Washington, I think it's how they played down the stretch and how it wasn't – exactly as good as they played earlier because early on it was like uh just bombing passes down the field everything was going their way and then they had a block in the back i think that didn't get called i don't know yeah. if you guys saw that yeah yeah um, that could have cost them the game then um the punt catch interference that could have ended up costing them the game i mean texas who knows if they met, went for it on that fourth down and got the touchdown the drive where they got the field goal they would have won the uh, they would have won the game because they could have come back down on the drive that the, that final drive and then kicked it through the uprights and that would have been a Texas win. So, um, I think Washington did in a sense sneak out of there, but it was it was still nonetheless an impressive performance on both sides of the ball. Um, and they just had less hiccups than than, than Texas. And I think both teams played played a solid game. Washington just played it better. And, and I think the common theme through both of these games, because I think you guys highlighted, you know, Will, you're just talking about these had this gone differently type scenarios with regard to specific mistakes that they're making down the stretch. Both of these games, you know, both both winners, Michigan and Washington, both teams that played games, semifinal games that had visible mistakes that that really made a viewer at home or a member of the Washington or Michigan faithful hold their breath, you know, make them a bit nervous, but nevertheless, the two victorious teams were able to outlast their mistakes. Once again, the final score of the all state sugar bowl in new Orleans, Louisiana, 37, 31 Washington. They take the other spot in the national championship. Now, gentlemen, it's time. It's time for the national championship talk. Now, it's a Big Ten versus an ACC, or versus a Pac-12. Jesus Christ, guys. I am all over the place today. Not used to saying Pac-12. It's okay. Right, right? Uh, Evan, I think you said Texas was SEC earlier, too. So that's what I messed it up, too. That's funny. Um, I did say that. But Big Ten versus Pac-12. Last time we saw this was Ohio State versus Oregon in the in the very first year of the college football playoff. And the Big Ten reigned victorious. But that's a different year. This year, it's Washington. It's Michigan. Michigan's eyeing their first national championship in over 20 years. Washington's eyeing their first national title in over 30 years. So we're going to go around the horn here. I'm going to start with you, Evan. What are you looking out for in this game? And ultimately, who's winning? 
And we'll even get a little more specific because I know Mr. Will Jing over there had some uh, some accurate score predictions in the last episode of, of College Green oh. Iron. So what we will do is also throw in a score prediction to see if he can stay on fire. But Evan, I'll start with you. I think Washington's performance definitely made this game way more of a toss-up than a lot of people would have thought it was going into the previous games. But I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it real. I, I'm going to go Michigan here. I think it's the safe pick, and I'm going to go with it more because of the coaching than anything else. You know, after the Alabama game, Nick Saban put it on himself, saying he got somewhat outcoached in that game. And I think you could see it watching the game how Michigan really seemed to make all the right plays, have the right schemes in the first half. Then in that third quarter, Alabama clearly made an adjustment where they were running the ball. At one point, I said out loud, I think this game's over in favor of the Tide because of how they looked. And they only had one sack opposed to five in the second half, so you could clearly see an adjustment. But then in the overtime, you could see another adjustment, an adjustment to the adjustment from Jim Harbaugh, which is what I think Saban was talking about. We saw two more sacks in OT. So all this that I'm saying, I'm going for the point that I'm making is Jim Harbaugh is an elite coach. And I think his schemes and adjustments are going to be what puts Michigan over this game. I talked about the sacks and how Michigan is able to get back there with the best of them and how that could be a problem for Penix. We saw it be a problem for Jalen Milrow, who I think can run even better than Penix can definitely escape a tackle better than Michael Penix get out of the pocket better than Penix. But I think that this elite coached up defense will be able to present looks that the offensive line isn't ready for hasn't seen before get some free rushers back there and really disturb this sharp offense that the Washington Huskies pose I'm going to go with Michigan and with a late W 35 28 this game is between two very inconsistent teams in my opinion um you could see times when these each of these two teams throughout the season have been dominant and then there's just games um, like for example, Michigan versus Alabama, and even to a smaller extent, Washington against Texas, where these teams could play better than they did. And I think it's just going to be, it, I'm going to throw out a more concrete prediction, but I think the biggest thing here is which team is going to be more consistent and more playing like the team that they know they can be right now, based off of the games that we just saw to me, Washington had a better performance. And I think Michigan, other than their overtime drive, was just completely unimpressive offensively. Missed field goal, almost threw a pick on the first play. Um, fumbles, just I think they're they're going to, you know, based off of that, make more mistakes than Washington does in this championship game. And I think defensively they're fantastic too. But I think Washington might be the best offense in college football. And they have a good O-line, which we saw against Texas. And I don't think that Michigan's sluggish offense is going to be enough to win them the game. So I'm going to make my prediction now. We'll see if Evan, I think you were there for the Washington, Oregon prediction, which was yeah. one point off for each team. And then I predicted the overtime. Then I predicted 37, 31, both of which rang true. So here I'm going to go Washington 30, Michigan 26. And it's going to be 26 because Michigan gets a safety. I like that. I mean, I like that you're not making it basic. I like, I like, you know, up in the stakes. It's not one of those like playing it safe, like, oh, you know, 2117. Like, you know, throwing in throwing in some specific uh happenings within the game. We'll see if a safety happens because it was just inches from happening uh just a few days ago. Only if if it had happened, you wouldn't be talking about Michigan and for the national championship right now. So 
Look, I think if anything, I'm going to agree with Evan that Michigan is the safe pick. However, this game, if Michigan is to win their national title and complete their perfect season, it's going to come down to defense. I don't think that if you put these offenses head to head and just let it be a score fest, I don't think that Michigan has the ability to outscore Washington. I really don't. I think that they are an elite offense. And I think JJ McCarthy is one of the most impressive quarterbacks in all of college football. I'm not taking anything away from Blake Corum's ability to be a legitimate playmaker as a running back. I'm not taking away anything from, from Donovan Edwards or Roman Wilson or anything, their wide receiver core. But I just think you, uh, like I said, I, I, I hate to sound like a broken record. You are working with some someone who we haven't seen arguably ever in Michael Penix Jr., who is unequivocally the best long ball passer. I think in during the semifinal, he had like, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere, he had like five completions that were over 30 yards or five completions that were over 28 yards. It was something like ridiculous. My point being is you are facing a quarterback who has a – very special talent in being able to work downfield and gain yards in big chunks and, and, and wear down offenses in not that many plays. He's able to lay passes right on the numbers of his receivers in a, you know, in a wide array of scenarios, whether it be high pressure where he's moving around the pocket, Evan, you mentioned unbelievable pocket presence. On top of that, an award-winning offensive line in front of him, the best O-line in the nation. So when we're looking at these two offenses side by side, I do agree that if this was with Will, that if this was just, you know, a scoring frenzy with no defense present, I don't think Michigan can out. I don't think they can outscore Washington. But what I will say is that that Michigan defense was ferocious in the Rose Bowl. And I'm talking there was no room for anything in the first half with, you know, Alabama offensive production. And on top of that, yes, Alabama had a bit of a rebound in the second half, but it was also highlighted by the fact that Michigan didn't score. Like Michigan literally refused to score, missed a field goal in a huge spot, didn't get the game tying touchdown until there was just around a minute left to go in the second half. So, I think Michigan wins this game if their defense continues to, A, have the same suffocating pass rush that they were able to maintain against Alabama. But, B, it's going to come down to their secondary. Can they shut down the deep ball? Because that's what's basically enabled Washington to just run through teams is the fact that they can gas a secondary by Mr. Penix putting the ball on the numbers every time they go down the field. So – I do have Michigan because I do think that defensively they're going to be able to step up. However, I think if I have to do a score prediction, see, it's tough because I have Michigan winning, but I don't like think, I don't think that they're going to, I don't think the defense is going to stomp all over Washington. So I don't want to say it's a low scoring game. I think it's hard to make a game against Washington low scoring. I'm going to go. I'm going to go 38-28 Michigan. I think it's going to come – now, 10 points sounds like a lot. 
I don't think it'll, I don't think, I think it'll be within three or within seven for the entirety of the game. And then it'll come down to either one defining play offensively or defensively where they're able to get a field goal, low insurance, push themselves ahead. I got 38, 28 Michigan Wolverines bringing back their first national title in over two decades, which is crazy to think about for the winningest, you know, winningest program in college football. But guys, it's an exciting time. It's kind of bittersweet because after Monday, there's no more college football until next August when we get all wired up for another season of college football. But gentlemen, either of you, any last words before we head into this national title in the last ever national championship in the four-team college football playoff format? Will, I want to ask if you have any more dreams about final scores or outcomes, because I know you told me you had that one dream and then it ended up happening. So for my <laughs> uh, for my sake, maybe I'll go to the sports books and put whatever happens in your dreams. So, Unfortunately, I don't have a dream. I only have a regular score prediction. That did work out for Texas Washington, though. So maybe you should go still place a bet. Um, you know, again, it's Washington 30, Michigan 26. So we'll see if uh, – the college football profit strikes again. Um, and then other than that, just one more final thought would be, I think Michigan can succeed if they don't let Washington throw long passes, because I think as we saw in that game against Texas, their, their strength is not exactly as much, you know, moving the stick slowly. I think that was more of Texas's thing, especially early on in the game. Their game is finding that one play and boom, they're like 40 yards down the field. So I think that's what Michigan has, has to be aware of. And I think that if they contain that, they don't have to worry as much about those, you know, five-yard rushes or, you know, a seven-yard pass or something like that. Well, there is some next-level college football sorcery going on in the dreams of Will Jing while he's asleep. So I would love to – I'd love to have our own little spinoff episode where you just, just go off about your college football dreams and explain to us what went on. But – Nevertheless, guys, this has been another installment of College Gridiron. Tune in Monday night, 7.30 p.m., college football playoff national title in Houston, Texas at NRG Stadium, Washington Huskies versus the Michigan Wolverines. That's all for today's episode of College Gridiron. Thank you for tuning in. For Jack Warner, Will Jing, and Evan Harkin, so long and happy national championship week.